Matt Sullivan here to remind you to stop putting screens on your gutters. Better to schedule a free estimate with the local experts at Gutter Helmet so you stay off the ladder. Visit GutterHelmetIndy.com. With Gutter Helmet, you'll never clean your gutters again. GutterHelmetIndy.com. Hammer and Nigel. Do you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock my name is Nigel. Jason Hammer right over there. Looks like Trump says he's bailing out of all the debates, not just this upcoming one on Fox Wednesday, Hammer. I, I got to tell you, first of all, I, I've never really enjoyed the the debate, um, the platform of the debate, like the, the format. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, okay, uh, Mike Pence gets a 60 seconds and then you get 15 seconds to rebut his. Uh, it's just, it, I, I don't know. I've never liked it. I think that the idea of uh, Trump sitting down with Tucker and getting down to exactly what he's going to do in the next four years of his presidency. Uh, Tucker did that with everybody. He did it with Ramaswamy uh, last week. I think that's a much more effective tool in getting your message out to people. Sorry, I do. I don't like the current format, especially when the stage is packed full of no-names. That's the thing. I don't mind the format, but I have to sit through some dude named Doug. I've got to sit through <laughs> Asia Hutchinson. I've got to sit through Mike Pence. Nobody wants to hear from these Chris people. Chris Christie. Look at their polling. If you're not near 10%, which I don't think is asking all that much, you shouldn't be on the stage. I think Rob talked about this this morning. The only people I think that should be on this stage that are close to polling to 10%, DeSantis, Ramaswamy, Tim Scott, and Nikki Nikki Haley. Haley, And that's it. Now, Tim Scott and Nikki Haley, they're not near 10%. But those are the only names. Nobody cares about these also-rans. Nobody cares about these place fillers. That's the problem. Would it be a better debate? Would it be more entertaining if Trump was there? Yes, of course, certainly. We all saw the debates the first time around. It was something novel. It was something new. It was him punching back hard at uh, at, at his adversaries. Now... Uh, now we know who Trump is th- at this point, right? I mean, like everybody, right? And he's just his polls are skyrocketing through the roof with each indictment, with each passing day. The the numbers, there's no point in in, in the debates. I mean, it's same for Biden. I mean, as much as I hate to admit it, I mean, he'd never he'd never debate RFK Jr. anyway. The only reason but, I'd want to see Biden debate is to see if he still well, had his mental faculties. Well, we all know the answer to that. Right, which is why I kind of want to see him up there. (laughs) Let everybody see the fact that this dude lost his fastball a long time ago. But you're right. All we're going to get out of this debate on Wednesday, and we're going to watch it. We're going to have a bingo card. We're going to do all the things. We're going to live tweet it. But Chris Christie is going to use this as an anti-Trump rally. The DeSantis camp, they're going to go after Ramaswamy. Ramaswamy is going to go after uh, DeSantis. And a big topic of the conversation, I think, is going to be about Donald Trump, who's not even there. So it's going to be interesting. Now, you mentioned Donald Trump is going to do an interview with Tucker. I still think he should do that Manning cast idea that we had with Tucker, where Donald Trump <laughs> yeah. and Tucker Carlson watch the debate and comment on it like As the it Manning happens. cast on yeah. Monday Night Football. Mystery Science Theater 3000 back in the day on Comedy right. Central. That would be amazing. I would watch that idea. in a heartbeat. Uh, Donald Trump did go to social media, Truth Social, his platform of choice, and talked about the debate. Uh Big Nige, if you wouldn't oh, mind, man. could you get this Monday rolling Ugh. with your awesome Donald Trump <clears throat> reading of this message? New CBS poll, 
field by legendary numbers. Trump, 62%, 46 points above the sanctimonious, <laughs> who's crashing like an ailing bird. Oh. Ramaswamy, 7%, Pence, 5%, Scott, 3%, Haley, 2%. Slappy Chris Christie, 2%. <laughs> the public knows who I am and what a successful presidency I've had with energy independence, strong borders, and military. Biggest ever tax regulation cuts, no inflation. I will therefore not be doing the debates. That's a good one. Well done, sir. Got an ab workout doing that. <laughs> I can only do, I can't do subdued Trump. I don't know how to do subdued Trump. I can only do the animated, you know, to sanctimonious. He's fired. <laughs> He's, that Donald yeah. Trump. I got it. Whew. But All right. that being said, okay, would anybody be shocked? Would anybody be floored if the day of the debate if literally hours before the debate, we find out there's an empty podium sitting on the stage, and right as that thing goes live on Fox, you hear the music. <laughs> and Donald Trump walks out there like Stone Cold Steve Austin. People are throwing Diet Cokes at him. He's catching them. He's drinking them. He shoulder bumps DeSantis on his way to the podium. <laughs> You can't rule it out uh, because he's a showman. I can't. Mike Pence said today, I believe, he still thinks there's a chance he could be there, but I doubt it. Um, Ron DeSantis will be there. Some feel like this is his last stand. If he does not have a dominant showing in this debate, just pack it up, pack it in. Here he is talking about the debate. In terms of the debate, look, when you're, I know from the military, when you're over the target, that's when you're taking flack. And if you look really in the last six to nine months, I've been more attacked than anybody else. Biden, Harris, the media, the left, other Republican candidates. And there's a reason for that, because people know uh, that I'm the biggest threat. So we view it as positive feedback. We'll be ready to, uh, to do what we need to do to deliver our message. But we absolutely expect that and we'll be ready for it. I always studied the words carefully because I know every single word said by these people is crafted in yep. a way yep. that means something. He wanted to remind everybody he was in the military. He would be a good commander in chief. He's going to be there and he's a threat. And he's right. Everybody's been taking shots at him. Everybody, Republicans and obviously everybody on the left, they're scared of him. They're uh, Trump's scared of him. I mean, polling aside, Trump has, has Trump gone after anybody else really in this field? Of sloppy GOP? Chris Christie. Sloppy Chris Christie. That's it. But that, that's because really, he hates him. Well, yeah, yeah. It's not because he thinks he's a threat. I, I look. I love Ron DeSantis. I like what he did in Florida. Um, I was, you know, the first chance I was able to buy a ticket down to Florida in 2020. Uh, we were there, and because it was open and it was it was great, and uh, I I love the job he did. But uh, yeah, it's it's th those poll numbers, man. Those are tough to overcome. It's a blowout right now. It's an absolute blowout. So tell me what you think about this report from ABC News. ABC News reporting that Vivek Ramaswamy told allies that he's only running for president to sabotage Ron DeSantis, which helps Trump. Right. Uh, this is a uh, little excerpt of the ABC News report. Quote. In the lead-up to his announcement, Ramaswamy would tell several other conservative activists that he believed that if he ran, 
it could stop DeSantis from running or impact his viability as a candidate if he did enter the race. And also, I could get a spot in Trump's cabinet. Bingo. If he gets elected. And man, his popularity is going up. The Trump interviews, the rapping to Eminem, and the way that he lays things out. It's a younger guy, and he brings a little energy. We saw some, I mean, we saw the strategy leaked out from Ron DeSantis's campaign. I don't know how it got leaked out, but one of the pieces of that strategy was A, to have Trump's back, B, hammer Ramaswamy. Now, DeSantis has said that, well, I don't know where that came from. Oh, That's not a knows? memo that I wrote. These are not the droids you're looking for. Sure. I think he absolutely is going to go after Ramaswamy because at this point, it's a race for number two, right? Yeah. And if you're in that yep. second spot, what if Donald Trump gets locked up? Now, he could still be the president. See, he could still be elected. God, that's the other wrench in this whole thing, man. Yeah, he's in, in, indicted four different times. I think they in Fulton County, they want to start the uh, trial a day before Super Tuesday. Right. So what's that look like for Donald Trump? He's not going to be able to participate in any debates because he's going to be sitting there in the courtroom. Somebody has sent us a tweet at Hammer and Nigel. Is WIBC going to carry the debate? Yes, we are. Uh, you can hear the debate here on this radio station. And we're all going to be live tweeting various things. Nigel is going to be following Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump. I'll be watching the debate. Kendall, Casey, Tony, they're all going to be doing the same thing. So make sure you follow all of us here at uh, 93 WIBC. And here's a little preview. Okay, we have uh, pulled some strings. We got a little preview of what this debate's going to sound like Wednesday. Here's Brett Baer and Chris Christie. You know, I ask every presidential candidate this first question, and that is, what do you think the most important issue facing our country is? Shut up. <laughs> it's a little preview of what to expect okay. on Wednesday from Great Chris answer. Christie. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Show. I'm Nigel. Hammer's here. Uh, we have a very special guest joining us live in Studio Hammer. Devour downtown. Man, one of my favorite things the city of Indianapolis puts together, Chef Michael is here. Now, that's what you wanted me to call you, right? I could give you this proper introduction, you know, director of culinary, but you're Chef Michael. Chef Michael. All right. So, first of all, for somebody listening who might not know what Devour Downtown is, maybe they've heard it, but they're not quite sure what it is, take us through the whole process here. Okay. Well, uh, Devour is just a great opportunity that we do uh, in the city and around the city. Uh, all of our brands and a lot of other restaurants are involved. Now, what is and, your brand? Okay. We have uh, St. Elmo's, Harry Nizzi's, 1933 Lounge, and HC Tavern and Kitchen. Major stuff there. That's good yeah, stuff. Big names. Big names. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So it's just an opportunity uh, to eat at our restaurants at a discounted price. Summer Devour. If you haven't been to one of our restaurants, it's a great opportunity to come in and, and get introduced to them. And if you have, come on in and take advantage of the discounted pricing. Do you, when you, so is, was there a, like a, a ticket that you have to buy, or is this just something your restaurants and other restaurants like yours are kind of collectively doing? You don't have to buy any sort, sort of nope. uh, barcode or scan a QR code or something like that, right? No QR codes. Come on in. Now, what type of uh, 
discounts are we talking about here? Because sometimes I've heard a lot of people say, man, I, I love to go to downtown. I love all these restaurants that I've heard about all my life. I just don't know if I could afford it right now. Well, that's what this is for. Right. What kind right. of discounts are we talking about? It, you're going to spend less than you would spend if you came in for dinner. It's a considerable discount. And this Summer Devour, um, we are featuring a new discount. If you come in for dinner Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday, we're going to give you an additional $10 off of the discounted uh, Devour price. A discount of the discount. Now you're talking yeah. my language right there. Yeah. I like to hear that. Where are you? So you're Chef Michael. Where uh-huh. do you work specifically? Well, uh, I, I work in all of the restaurants. Um, we do have our offices at the PNC Tower. So you're but the director of culinary, so that means you're kind of like a boss man? Um, you can just call me Michael, and, and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I help with uh, with uh, designing the menus, writing recipes, okay, and, okay, and gotcha. uh, opening the restaurants. And, and right on. Yeah, so you so know, is I'm, it like Bar Rescue? If you walk into a restaurant and you see something's not right, you yell at somebody <laughs> and flip a table over? Is that how it works? Well, I'm no Gordon Ramsay, I promise you that. <laughs> uh, but but uh, I do go into the restaurants, have great rapport with all of my chefs, and, and uh, we just work together to keep the places awesome and and the food awesome. But you I, could do, you know what my favorite show is right now is The Bear. You ever watch that show, The Bear I, on Hulu? Yeah, I watched the uh, first season and part of the second season. And it just gave me too much anxiety. Really? <laughs> That's a, such a great show, though. It kind of, it is. I don't it's know if it's, is it, oh, is it really? It, it is. Um, not real life like you would experience. What's it about? I don't kitchens. know what it is. The, the, the Bear is about a guy uh, whose brother ran an Italian beef house, little hole-in-the-wall restaurant in Chicago while he went on to, to work at the French Laundry, I think. But his brother died, so he leaves his hoity-toity job as a, a fancy, you know, five-star chef to come back to run his brother's hole-in-the-wall, okay. basically. Right? Yeah, but they're turning the hole-in-the-wall into what they want to be a, I don't know if you call it hoity-toity, but a nice restaurant. Yeah, a nice restaurant. The, the first season, he was running the you know the hole in the wall yes uh and now they turn but it now around they're and trying is... to turn it around but the type of place gavin newsom would go after telling you you're not allowed to go <laughs> exactly. that's what you're telling me that's it that's right <laughs> so so it's it could get hectic back there sometimes in some of your kitchens it but can. you still perform you know you never see that side like when you're sitting there at the table you uh you, you gotta hide that part yeah you, it we we don't have a lot of uh, uh drama in our kitchens um, but but there are there is drama in a lot of kitchens. The the sous chef on the bear, um, yeah. she gives you a good example of some of the you know all the stuff she has sure. to put up with and what she's going through. She just wants everything right and perfect, and and uh, it's certainly not in that environment. Chatting with Chef Michael, we're talking about Devour Downtown, a series of restaurants that sometimes compete with each other. Now coming together to pass the savings on to you. Now. How did all of this come to be? Because, again, I know like St. Elmo's and Harry and Izzy's, they're like partnered, they're buddies. It's the sister restaurants to each other. But there's a lot of places involved in this that some would consider a rival. How did everybody come together? Well, I think uh, in, in time, the Restaurant Association just decided that they wanted to give people an opportunity to really experience the Indianapolis culinary scene. And what better opportunity would it would there be than to discount pricing and, and a couple of times a year? So we do, and we have uh, great traffic flow from it. 
And your uh, colleague here, Andrea's in the back. She's been setting up this amazing spread. It smells so good. It smells so good. She has not stopped working since you came in the studio, lining everything up. What, what do we, have? What yeah. do we got back here? What's back there? Well, we uh, we brought some samplings of some of the items that are on our devour menus. We've got some lunch items. What is this? Some of the dinner items. Uh, this is the cheese fritters from oh. HC. Cheese and, fritters. Uh, Fishers. Oh, man. Uh, pimento cheese fritters. We've also got some Wagyu corn dogs, uh, Tavern <laughs> Club. Uh, these are, sliders these are all there, items think, that you right? can get on Devour. Wow. And if uh, the food wasn't enough, you guys were mixing up drinks back there. Yeah, Andrea we- was mixing up a drink. What's this? So this is called the Cabana Life, and... Um, it's a cocktail that our, bartain- our bartender, Matt Gillum from St. Elmo's, created and actually won oh, in the Devour man. cocktail competition. So I can we see are going to feature it during, during Devour, and it is outstanding. Cheers. This is so good. Yeah, cheers. This is going to get me into trouble. Cheers, Chef. We got a long show to go here, and uh, boy, this is really good. You got to try some of these. Like, out of, out of all this outstanding stuff that you guys brought us, I'm like salivating over the cheese fritters or whatever you call them. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll get you. You can't take the I'll list and out of the bring boy. you some more cheese fritters <laughs> when we do beer sample Friday because. Oh, okay. I okay. mean, even though even even though today is, is Cabana Life Monday. Yes. Uh, those uh, those are great with some beer and and. Uh, Awesome appetizer. Well, one more time, if somebody wants to get more information or maybe see a list of the places that are participating, uh, where do they go? Well, you could go to stelmos.com and get the information there, and, and it lists all of our brands and, and uh, the menus that we are offering for Devour. Man, this is awesome. Chef Michael, nice to meet you, man. I'd love to hear more about your background someday, man. Okay. I well, bet you got some stories to share. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's nice to meet both of you as well. I'm a big fan. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. The only way to bag a classy lady is to give her two tickets to the gun show. It's Monday Gun Day with the gun guy. Just watch out for the guns. They'll get you. Stop calling your arms guns. The Hammer and Nigel Show. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer is here. Guy Relford, 2A attorney and licensed firearms instructor. Here, uh, he's the host of the Gun Guy Show, uh, Saturdays on 93 WIBC. Guy, how are you? Man, I'm great, and thanks as always to our sponsor for Monday Gun Day. That's Premier Arms in Brownsburg, with the largest selection of new, used, and historic firearms in the Midwest, and PA Jewelers located right in the store. Check them out at 3754 South Green Street in Brownsburg, or PremierArms.com. You can start at any number of places. The Biden, you know, going, costing thousands of legal gun sellers their licenses. I want to get to that. I want to get to Chicago Democrats asking gang members to refrain from yeah. shootouts between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. <laughs> let's go. Let's start with Chicago and Indy, though. I've seen a couple of headlines. Uh, I'm seeing more and more headlines about Glock switches. Yeah. A kid was busted at school with one. Give us an update on this, on what that is and, and where we are with that. Yeah, uh, we were talking about a headline coming out of Chicago, that the Chicago police were reporting that they're seeing a whole lot more of these handguns that have been uh, converted into machine guns, into fully automatic firearms, by the use of what a lot of people just call a Glock switch. And it's a fairly simple device that when installed on a, on a handgun, actually converts it from semi-automatic to fully automatic. So you pull the trigger and hold the trigger back, and it keeps shooting. It's a, it's a machine gun. And the Indiana legislature actually took action on this issue just this last session and made possession of just one of these switches 
illegal under Indiana law. It was already illegal under federal law. And possession of a gun that had been converted to full automatic with one of these switches was already illegal under both Indiana and federal law. Indiana sort of matched federal law and said, all right, we find a kid, you know, like, uh, they're finding gang members with a pocket full of these switches that they're selling to other gang members. And Indiana then made that illegal as well. And there's no way to own one of these legally in, in, because they're already illegal under federal law. Plus, they can't be registered as a machine gun um, under the National Firearms Act, even though old uh, machine guns that are imported or manufactured before 1986 before 1986 actually can be legally possessed. But these modified Glocks or modified handguns or these switches can't be made legal through that process. So that's why... Um, if, if kids are caught with them or, or anyone's caught with them, it's now a crime under both state and federal law. But the, the point in all of this really is the police really are seeing many, many more of these, including the example you cited, uh, Nige, which was uh, a kid showed up uh, at uh, North Central High School with uh, with a gun that had been converted to full auto with one of these switches. Is this an easy conversion? Like, can a high school kid that is certainly not like you, guy, the gun guy, but can a high school kid make this kind of transition on a gun yeah and in fact they're even pretty easy to make uh, one of these switches with a with a laser printer um uh with a 3d printer so uh, it's not really sophisticated technology at all so if these are illegal to begin with yeah then why do we hear so many people gun control advocates getting out and yelling we've got to get these glock switches off the streets well they're supposed to be off the streets already, right? Well, well that's right, and and what that means is, and, and we're and this is what we invariably talk about about the way to 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 combat crime, which is to enforce existing laws, right? Because again, these switches have have always been illegal under federal law, and they're now illegal under state law. And any gun that's already been converted with them has already been illegal under state and federal law. So if we need to get them off the street, so be it. Enforce existing laws. Don't it, go, don't run to the legislature too. We need more laws. And it's not like you're like out. Here waving some flag for Glock switches either. You're not advocating for no Glock uh, switches not, at all. Not 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 at all. I mean, you know, you could go back and, and debate the 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 wisdom of the original 1934 uh, National Firearms Act that made machine guns restricted to begin with. Um, but no, I mean, you know, the, the 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 bottom line is these things are illegal, and if then possession of one is illegal, and so if if they're causing uh, law enforcement headaches or people are committing crimes with them, there are uh, legal avenues today to get these people arrested and put in jail it's monday gun day guy roford with us nige kind of teased this earlier but this sounds like a headline out of like the babylon b or the onion or something it does it totally chicago does. democrat asking for game gang members to refrain from shooting each other from 9 a.m. until 9 p.m. <laughs> I I looked for the bee or the onion link on this. I absolutely did. I go, this can't be real. This has to be satire. But but literally, this 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 the city councilor in Chicago is saying, you know, uh, it's more likely that innocent people are get caught up in the gang uh, warfare and, and, and gang violence uh, when it happens during the daylight hours. So uh, we've gone to the gangs in in, in my district uh, there in Chicago and said. Please uh, limit your shootouts to 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. Uh, not not 
not stop shooting people, not stop committing murders, just <laughs> restrict the time. You know, and, and so now I'm expecting the signs to go up. You know, <laughs> like drive-bys prohibited, 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. If we catch you murdering somebody at four in the afternoon, you'll get a ticket. Yeah, you're, you're, you're really, really in trouble. I mean, it, it had to be satire, but it's not. And and she's like, listen, you know, we, we didn't get here overnight. We're not going to dig out of this hole overnight, so we have to start somewhere. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you have lost the battle if you think you're gonna you're gonna save lives by asking gangs to please refrain from shooting each other during certain hours. So the public safety plan in Chicago from Chicago Democrats is <laughs> crossing your fingers that the law-abiding gang members yeah right. decide not to shoot each other <laughs> from nine to nine. Yeah, yeah, with your your request that they're going to comply with your request for a voluntary, you know, <laughs> cessation from hostilities during certain hours uh, of the day. I I thought it was the most hilarious thing I've read in a long time, and actually the note I sent back when you guys sent me the link i said you know if this wasn't so pathetic it would be hilarious right this is a real solution from an elected official yeah asking gang members if you could not be gang members from nine until nine yeah just just give us a break for a little while and we'll all we'll all live happily ever after 8 59 p.m do not dare fire that gun 901 p.m <laughs> all's fair love yeah. war i want to see that come on you know at the, at the beginning of, at the beginning, of the, beginning of the news public service announcement is just a reminder <laughs> that it is now 9 p.m and, they, and it's, therefore it's, it's, you it's, are you are fully authorized to go out on the street and commence shooting your fellow you know it's as useful it's as useful as gun-free zones in it, my it, opinion it's, it, it's kind of the same idea like exactly a, a crime-free right. zone we are banning crime from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Gun-free zones. We're, we're banning guns here in this public space. If I okay. were a gang member Good luck. and a smartass at the same time, at 9 o'clock, Nige, I would take your advice. I would walk outside with like a starter pistol. <laughs> Boom. We now commence gang shooting time. It, doesn't it feel like the movie The Purge? It does. Like, oh, look, it's 9 p.m. Right. You know, let the violence commence. Better be home by nine, because that's when it's official shooting time in Chicago. Unbelievable. But the reason they have so much gang violence is what? Indiana's gun laws. Right. Yeah. It's Indiana's okay. fault. Right. Uh, Guy Relford with us. I've always said that uh, my home away from home, the state of Tennessee, is very similar to Indiana. It's a red state, but there are pockets of blue oh, yeah. in there. And the governor might as well have a D next to their name. Now, Sounds familiar. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of similarities. You know, red state, Nashville, vibrant city, very blue. Indianapolis used to be a vibrant city, very blue. But the governor, the Republican governor of a red state, is now trying to push gun control through the Tennessee State House guy as what I feel like is a complete overreaction to the Nashville shooting, even though the Tranifesto has never been released, uh, this quote, Republican governor, he's all about gun control. Yeah, and it just goes to show you how um, even quote unquote Republicans, and, and we may have seen a little bit of this in the mayor's race right here in Indianapolis. Um, if they think it's politically expedient, man, they'll jump right on the bandwagon, even where it makes no sense. Because the point you just made, uh, to me, Hammer, is the most important one, which is, you know, this is a reaction to the shooting at the Covenant School. And was it horrible? Yes. You know, three young kids lost their lives. Three administrators lost their lives. Um, you had a person who was, what, a transsexual female? I don't know. It was a female who dressed like a man who goes to this, this school, was evidently upset uh, something from her experience there, uh, kills a bunch of people, has written a manifesto. No one would release that. 
for some reason, the school doesn't want it released. So we don't know what motivated this person. You would think that'd be the first thing anyone would, would look at, which is what caused this person to become this violent. And, and, and should we be looking for more people like this person to head this off? And oh no, the reaction is, let's hide that from everyone. Let's don't publicize that. Let's don't help diagnose this problem in the future. Let's hide all that, but let's go to the legislature and restrict the Second Amendment rights of law-abiding citizens. That's the solution. And the fact that a Republican governor is now signed off on that, apparently, or at least pushing for this special session that's supposed to be specifically dedicated to gun control, that's that's completely repugnant to me. It's, it's headed in the completely wrong direction, but unfortunately, we see it over and over. Monday, gun day. Guy Relford joining us here in studio. So, Guy, this report from the New York Post revealed that the ATF has wrongfully taken licenses away from 122 gun dealers over the past year. These are supposed to be the experts, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. It's literally in their name, but it seems like they're just taking away these licenses from gun dealers because they don't like them. Well, it's a directive um, from the White House, and, and and I think that's been abundantly clear since Biden has been in the White House. And in fact, I've talked to a whole lot of um, gun store owners, and that's who we're talking about here. When we talk about federal firearms licenses, we're talking about the license you need to run a retail a gun store to buy and sell guns commercially and you have to get a your your your, your federal firearms license and what i've been told over and over again is that the the ATF folks who, who and, the, and they're a group called industry operations within ATF and historically they've gone around to gun stores and they they come in and they check their inventories and they check their paperwork and they make sure all their background check uh, documentation is in order and whatnot and the ATF guys in industry operations historically I've seen their job as just helping gun store owners stay on the right side of the law. You know, helping them know how to do things, make sure they're complying with the regulations, which are very complex um, and 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 very in depth. Um, but that's changed under Biden, and the directive clearly is because I've heard this directly from ATF agents. That the 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 directive now is find some reason for the gun stores within your jurisdiction. Find some reason to put these people out of business. Wow. Well, this is the MO of the Biden administration, That's right? That's exactly right. They knew they couldn't pass the Green New Deal, so they disguised it. They called it uh, something else right. and passed it through. Build Back Better. The yeah. Build Back Better plan. Yeah, yeah. yeah and this yeah. is the same deal here. Biden wanted to ban guns. Knew he couldn't do it constitutionally, so he's just going to blame human error in the ATF. Well, that's exactly right. And I was talking to one gun store owner who actually is a very good friend of mine. I go back 30, 40 years with this person, um, and he said his ATF agent that he's been working with since he opened his store three or four years ago said, you know what, I think I'm actually going to leave the ATF because I don't like my job today. My job used to be to help the people that, you know, that ran gun stores in my within my jurisdiction. I used, My job used to be to help them and, and, and to help them stay on the right side of the law. My job today is to find some reason, some ridiculous excuse to yank your license and put you out of business. I don't want to do that anymore. But that's that's what these people are being told to do. And they're out doing it. It was something like 350% right. revocations are up just over the last year. Compared to 2021, 
license removal is up 350 percent nuts now if you're telling me it's up five if it's up seven then you could argue okay maybe this has happened maybe that's happened perhaps it is human error 350 percent is on purpose and and these are not bad people these are not people that are secretly running guns out the back door um you know to, and, and to the mexican drug cartel no the actually the atf does that itself um uh, <laughs> fast and free if you, furious, if you oh, remember yeah. that but sure. but these are not bad people who are breaking the law intentionally and therefore losing their licenses. These are not people being prosecuted for crimes. These are people just being caught with, with not having the right signature on the right form or not having you know the address block in the correct location on a particular form. I mean, it's it's the most ridiculous kind of hair splitting um, and nitpicking that ATF is now using to force these people out of business. Got a couple of minutes left here. The first debate, presidential debate, is Wednesday. Now, Donald Trump will not be a part of that. And it looks like he is going to be the nominee unless something crazy happens, guy. But do you anticipate any sort of gun topic to come up, any sort of 2A topic, anything you want to hear about? Well, um, I, you know, I enthusiastically voted for Donald Trump in the two general elections uh, where, that he ran in. Uh, however, he does not have a spotless record on 2A. I mean, he's the guy. Uh, that, stock. That, yeah, well, yeah, he's the guy who, uh, in the context of red flag laws said, take the guns first, due process later. And bump stocks, exactly as Nige just said. He's the guy that said, bump stocks are gone. And, and look, I didn't care about bump stocks, but he went to the ATF and said, find a way to make these illegal without going to Congress. And Biden has now used that model um, on any number of different issues, in, including. Um, uh, arm braces, pistol braces. So, so Trump is not spotless on two way, and anybody who follows two way knows that. So, if people are looking at the Republican uh, candidates and looking at that debate that he's not going to participate in, it is a way for people on that stage, even in his absence, to separate themselves from Donald Trump, who obviously is blowing everybody away in the polls right now. But this is a way, perhaps, for somebody like Ron DeSantis uh, to make up some some space. Where can people continue this conversation? Hire you or just? Start Stalk you guy. Yeah, you can find me through Twitter, <laughs> or I guess we say X now. Um, it's, it's Twitter. Yeah, it's Twitter. It'll Dare Creek, Twitter. the Hoosier it's Dome. Exactly right. Um, just at Guy Relford on Twitter. Guy, thank you. Thanks, guys. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock it! Still amazing to me that two weeks after the Hawaiian wildfires, countless lives lost, we still don't know the total count, active duty U.S. military has still not been asked to go help and intervene over there. It's mind-boggling to me. FEMA's over there. Uh, and then after facing criticism for his response to the disaster, Joe Biden's going to meet with federal state local leaders in maui today and he's scheduled to be there for about two hours so he's going to fly in walk around look a little bit do a few photos and then leave and then he can say that i went there and i was on the front lines i mean it's a mess over there and our colleague tony kennett uh, he's got his own program coming soon here to WIBC, right. investigative reporter for the Daily Signal. He's in Hawaii right now. And some of the things that he's reporting on and showing us video, it's incredibly eye-opening. Um, now, Joe Biden's FEMA 
admin director was grilled on CNN for their lack of progress and lack of information. You say that we have to ask the Hawaii officials for the count, but you also say that you are working with them. I think it's hard for people to understand, you know, there are potentially a thousand people who have perished in this fire. How can we not know more about this this many days out? Yeah, again, we take all of our numbers from the local officials and we are supporting them with our teams to help better understand. And I think the unaccounted piece is just making sure that we are accounting for everybody that was reported um, as missing. And it could be that they are staying with family and friends and, and we haven't been able to contact them yet. There's a lot of different reasons on why people are unaccounted for. Guess what? There's a lot of uh, there's there's a lot of unaccountability. Um, there's no accountability, no answers. What is going on in Maui? Seriously, they can't tell us not only how many people are missing, but they don't know how many kids are missing. They can't. Don't, they don't have an official count on uh, children that have gone missing after the wildfires, Hammer. So the death toll is officially at 114 right now, but the mayor of Maui said that around 850 people are still missing. And the search to find the identity of some of these victims is incredibly slow because it feels like nobody is leading there. And situations like this, you need to have absolute strong leadership, and you're not getting that right now. Again, Tony Kennett, who's going to join us on Wednesday on our program, uh, follow him on Twitter, at the Tonus. He's there. He's on right the ground. Now. Yeah. He's walking around. He's talking to locals, talking to officials. And his reporting shows that the public information officer of Maui is nowhere to be found. Residents, they're not being allowed access into their own properties right now. And it's a mess. Several of the houses in Lahaina are still standing, while houses next to them have been burnt to the ground down to the concrete and aluminum. You cannot get close to the police station. They won't let you up the hill towards the police station. We were let through the National Guard uh, as media, and when we got to the top of the hill, several police officers approached us. They would not tell us where the public resource officer was who's supposed to be talking to media. Everyone that we've talked to that's in uniform is incredibly frustrated with the way this is being handled from a leadership level. You have community watch setups where individuals are trying to keep uh, external organizations out of their neighborhoods. There's a lot of other situations here in Lahaina that are currently developing that make it really difficult to document because the organization from federal and local authorities has been so abysmal and confusing. Wow. And that starts at the top. When Joe Biden tells you multiple times, no comment, or what can you tell us about your trip? Nothing. No I mean, you can tell that's a guy that doesn't want to be there. Joe Biden was ticked off that his beach vacation was interrupted by reporters having the audacity to ask him about a tragedy in one of the states in the country. That's all right. I mean, he was there for two hours and he's going straight back to vacation, please. Tony Kennett asked some of the locals in Hawaii their thoughts on Joe Biden's visit. When you when you're the president of the United States of America, you have to know what what's going on. You know, you you got all these people that surround you know supposed to be advising you what's going on. For you to say something like no comment, I, I don't know. I, I can't even respond to such comment. We have the largest marine base in the world, the largest navy fleet right there, right there. We can see the island. It could have been here in 12 hours. You think that if he if he wanted to, the president of the United States or one of his chiefs of staff could have ordered military assistance from from Pearl Harbor and the the U.S. Pacific Fleet? There's no question they could have done that they did it for ukraine way quicker than the response here in hawaii 
So again, Tony Cannon on the ground uh, talking to locals because it feels like we're not getting the full story from the mainstream media. And I trust Tony Kennett to really tell us what's going on in terms of a leadership uh, command, and if you that, will, in and, Hawaii. And what that one witness was saying about the military, he could like you know he could see the military miles off the island and they're not coming to help. That's because the, unless you get an official request from Hawaii's governor, the military is not going to go help. You got to get that official request, and he won't do it. Now, in terms of insurance, there's a lot of chatter about uh, insurance and what's you know allowed to be helped in Hawaii and what's not. According to Tony Kennett, State Farm is doing their best to take care of people, but FEMA is making this incredibly difficult. According to Tony Kennett, FEMA uh, will not work with anybody who has insurance. So even if you just have a little bit of insurance and your house was totally devastated, FEMA will not work with you. They're passing out rejection letters, and he claims that he has one. Now, let's talk more about FEMA, because... FEMA is staying in the most expensive hotel on that island, $1,000 a night. And this is being covered by taxpayers. So instead of just staying somewhere, anywhere, they found the most expensive luxury hotel on that island. It's $1,000 a night, and that is where FEMA is staying, and it's taxpayer money being used for it. And again, Tony Kennett, who's there, will join us on Wednesday. Let's shift gears and bring it back to North America, not just the United States, but North America. We are going to check in on America and Canada's fight oh, my. against COVID-19. COVID-19, oh, I swear that I mean at this moment. There are three vaccines. Three. China, piss off. Now you've made I got it. cough. We're all nervous. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because of COVID-19. Oh, beautiful. So the fine folks in Canada, the Public Health Agency of Canada is tracking a new, highly mutated variant Uh of the COVID-19 virus that has been detected in at least four countries. Health Canada says no cases have been detected in Canada so far, but they're keeping an eye on the new variant BA 2.86, Nige, oh. just in time for election season. Did you hear what I was listening to before we turned the microphones on here? Somebody sent me a TikTok at Alex Jones, one of his broadcasts, and said he <laughs> met with a high-level uh, high-level official with TSA, and also met with a federal official uh, that says masks are coming back in September because of the because of COVID variant in Canada. That's a pretty good Alex Jones you do. Turn the frogs gay. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty Florida good impression. Turn the frogs gay. I'm going to eat my neighbors. Little frat boy, so cool. <laughs> Come, Come back to your bathhouse. Bath <laughs> but I've I heard, don't know. If we've been getting look, messages I, from people. Yeah. We've been getting messages from people saying, I've heard that it's going to be mask mandates again this fall. And then, and then later this year, lockdown procedures a la 2020 and 2021. I say good luck with that. Yeah. Uh, what was it George W. Bush once said? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me, fool me, won't be fooled again. <laughs> now, the first time you may have gotten away with this crap, but I got a feeling that uh, this ain't oh, going to fly. I don't know. You watch. There are still some COVID hysterics out there that are just waiting for this kind of thing. 
They lock down again. You're handing the Republicans an election. And I don't think they want to do that. Presidential election is next year. I know they want to scare people into voting from home. But with all the crap that we went through and we see all the effects that it had on kids missing school, I don't think they want to go down that road again. I don't know. I mean, they're mail-in ballots, man. You know, the... The fuzzy math, the jelly bean counters, as Rob Kendall says on his show, this might be. I, I wouldn't like, now, look, I'm not going to really listen to anything Alex Jones has to say. But, I, I you know, he, I met with a TSA official, said lockdown's coming, the mask's coming back in September. Then in October, lockdown. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, is that completely out of the realm of possibility? You see Joe Biden pulling something like that? I could I, see it. I could see it. Plus, it's an excuse for Biden not to get out and campaign, which he doesn't want to do anyway, assuming he's going to be the nominee. There's a lot of ifs, ands, what haves you in that uh, situation there. But if you start seeing more coverage of COVID this fall, remember, there's only one thing to do. even a real country anyway whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about Kaskali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you Emma and Nigel presents is it depends upon what the meaning of the word is yeah. Is this anything? All right, let's rock and roll. roll. Hammer, how do we play? Is this anything? I am going to run some stories by you. You break down all of the information that's been presented, and you give us the verdict. Is it anything or not? Easy enough. Dateline Mississippi. A 10-year-old from Mississippi was arrested when he was busted for peeing behind his mother's car. What? 10-year-old arrested because he took a leak behind his mom's car. Here she is, and here he is talking about the arrest. I'm just speechless right now because, for one, I can't believe it happened. Like, why would you arrest a 10-year-old kid? I was like, son, why did you do that? He said, mom, my sister said I ain't got a bathroom in there. Another officer came over there and was like, your son got to get out of the car. He got to be arrested because he can't do that. I started, like, crying a little bit. They had, like, took me down there. You know, there's no bigger supporters of law enforcement than you and I in this show. That goes without saying, I think. But that being said, the cops here are in the wrong. Give me a break. Come on. I mean, there's bums out on this street here in Indianapolis that you've seen personally doing much worse things to their body, with their body, in grocery carts. Yes. And they, they nothing's done about it. A 10-year-old peeing behind his mom's car? Really? So after the arrest, the police department said, uh, yeah, look, this was an error in judgment to transport the kid to the police station, and even especially since the mother was present. Right. The cops are in the wrong on this one. Don't like saying that, but I, when I you know, call it how it is. The, the cops are wrong. 
Now, did the kid have a rap sheet? Like, is this He's like ten an, years old? <laughs> right. Did the kid have a rap sheet? Because if he's got a history of breaking the law, maybe this is like the old Al Capone situation. Al Capone was never arrested for being, you know, a mobster. Yeah, was he was arrested evasion. for tax yeah, evasion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, maybe this kid has stolen a bunch of stuff, robbed a couple houses. I don't know. Maybe that's their chance to take him in. Oh, but I- if it was just peeing behind a car. Let him go. Oh, man, me and my buddy almost got busted for the same thing in Broad Ripple years ago. Out behind uh, Marco's Pizza, it was 3 o'clock. We were just, the you know, bars were closed, 3.30, and uh, we'd ordered a pizza, but uh, there's no bathrooms in the place, right? So we snuck out back by the uh, trash cans, fenced in, like wooden fenced-in trash cans. Right. And, I mean, we're both just unloaded. Oh, just because we, we've just, just been holding in our bladder the entire time, right? And all of a sudden, it's a... Uh, Come out with your hands up. This is the police. Come out with your hands up. Oh, no. <laughs> so we both, two dudes, come stumbling out behind a, a fence with our pants, you know, belts, pants undone, belt buckles undone, our hands are in the air. What are you guys doing back there? <laughs> it was like something about Mary. Yeah, I go, we were just peeing, I swear. We just Oh, peeing. yeah, we're all just peeing back here. <laughs> no, the cop, no, the cop put his gun back in immediately, said, and he got on his... He had his, you know, his uh, walkie-talkie on his shoulder. He goes, all right, never mind. They're just peeing. Let him go. <laughs> <laughs> they thought we were breaking into the place. Right. It was something, somebody had seen us and thought we were breaking in behind. And that's – so I've been there. Hey, look, I've been there, kid. I know how it feels. But there's no reason to take a 10-year-old in for – you know, th- their bladders are very weak at that age, aren't they? Yeah, sure. We're all just peeing over here. <laughs> Belt undone. Our, both of our belts were undone. Our, pants, <laughs> our flies were still open. I never. I don't think I ever had a chance to wash my hands after that. <laughs> Is this anything? Here's a woman in San Francisco losing her mind because an ambulance is parked in the bike lane. I am losing my mind. Killing us. I just had the worst thought pop in my head as soon as she said they're killing us, and that was good die. <laughs> Can weirdo. we get those cops from Mississippi to <laughs> yeah. come back and arrest yeah. this what, woman what in San Francisco? <laughs> they could have parked in the non existent uh, motorcycle lane. They could have parked in the car lane, but they're in the bike lane. They're killing us all. It is San Francisco. I mean, I would expect that type of behavior from anybody using a bike lane in San Francisco. And did I catch a motorcycle out of her mouth right <laughs> did you there? Say motorcycle? What is she, five? A motorcycle? Is she going to eat some sketty afterwards? Ridiculous. Is this anything? Oh, man. Louisiana parents were upset after the school board's decision to move from a five-day school week to a four-day school week. The school says lack of teachers and employees is one of the reasons for the shorter school week. Here are parents and the superintendent 
talking about the change. It's cutting down kids' learning. It's costing more out of parents' pockets for daycare. After-school activities is going to be hard to get to. It's a nationwide issue with teacher recruitment and employee recruitment, making sure people are happy on their jobs were some of the factors that led into us considering moving to a four-day work week. You know, they, I don't think they got to get their education like they they need to. You know, kids' education across the country is already suffering. Four-day work weeks, um, I'm so, sorry, four-day school days, completely unacceptable. I mean, like, Louisiana is, I think, 46th overall in education. Can't get much worse. There's only, you know, there's only a couple above you there. Um, yeah, 41st in pre-K through 12, 49th in higher education. Awful stats there, and, and I, I don't know what you do about it. I mean, you gotta get you got to get these teachers paid. I'm all for giving teachers more money, but you got to get rid of all the DEI stuff. You got to get rid of all the woke stuff. You got to get rid of all the rules. And some of I the mean, admins like, are going to have to say, hey, maybe we don't need to make six figures for posting on Facebook once or twice a week. It's an admin yeah. problem in a lot of these schools. A lot of discipline. Schools. Yeah, like the equity in terms of discipline. For some students, some students get different rules for different actions. Right. That's going to stop. And another thing, and we've talked about this with Tony Kennett, who's been an educator, the behavior of the kids. Well, that's what I'm saying, yeah. The parents at home who just let them go to school and act like just convicts. I don't blame the teachers for saying, you can't pay me enough to sit there and listen to this BS. I get it. I totally do. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. This situation absolutely requires a really futile and stupid gesture be done on somebody's part. We're just the guys to do it. Hammer and Nigel. That's our uh, news gathering partners, Wish TV, reported on this over the weekend. Some parents are kind of upset at uh, Martinsville new policy on cell phones, the school district there on cell phones. So middle school students can't have their cell phones in the classrooms, and they got to keep them in the locker until they're done for the day. That's the new policy. Now, at first glance, you would say, well, good. You shouldn't be having your phone out in the classroom. But the reason why a lot of parents are concerned about this is, what if there's an emergency at the school? It's a different time now than it was years ago. What if some moron brings his parents' gun to school, starts shooting things up. I get that. You want to be able to reach your son or daughter. They need to be able to call for help. Now, the problem with that is, let's be honest, in middle school, that's the age where the kids act like clowns the most. (laughs) It really is. That's where you're going to find the most ridiculous, snotty behavior, rowdy kids, snotty chicks, and... They're going to get their phones out during class. They're going to get their phones out during the classroom time, in the hallway, and what do you do then? Is there a way that you can monitor that? Is there a protocol or a rule that you could put in place to say, all right, you can carry your cell phones around with you, but I better not see them out in class. If I do, they will be confiscated. That could be a reasonable compromise, right? Is detention with suspension still a threat to kids? Like if you get busted, you know, with your cell phone in class, after the third time, you get a suspension. You get detention every time. After three is a suspension. After three, you don't bring it to school anymore or don't bring it to classroom anymore. You lose the privilege. You lose the privilege. 
I think that would be a good compromise. I understand that, yeah, there was a very concerned mother on that piece that Wish TV did about, hey, look, I, I know there's rules in place right now, and I understand where they're coming from, but also a concerned parent, I want to be able to get a hold of my kid if something were ever to go down in school. Now, uh, Martinsville School District is saying, look, we've all the classrooms are equipped with phones, access to intercoms, and things like that, should there be an emergency. So everybody has, there's a phone, there are phones in the classroom. Right, but 20 kids all going for the phone at the same time, how's that going to play out if there's some sort of security threat? Yeah, I mean, I'd like, you know, to be able to communicate with my kid if something were to go down, just at least, at the very least, a text message. Right. Yeah, dad, okay, in class, lockdown. Mass shooter, running, heading out, I mean, something. But you're right. It's at that age, though, the middle school kids, where they're the biggest knuckleheads they're ever going to be in their life. And if you get that phone out in class, it's a detention. After three detentions, suspension, or you lose the right to bring your phone in. Because if you keep doing it habitually, you don't deserve the right to have it. Safety be damned. So I don't know. I understand where the parents are coming from. I understand where the school's coming from. But it feels like there's enough understanding to meet in the middle somewhere like all right we want the kids to have their phone but if you keep getting busted with it we're going to take it away or they're going to get kicked out of school suspension something like that let us know where you're at on this facebook twitter instagram we got the youtube chat going live cameras in studio just look for hammer and nigel and the youtube chat is the wibc uh youtube channel And look for the Hammer and Nigel show. So over the weekend, the weekend talking shows, Meet the Press, hosted by Chuck Todd, guys named Todd, (laughs) Lanley Chen of the Hoover Institute, which is just fancy talk for saying, this is a smart guy. This is a dude that's got his act together. Basically saying that Joe Biden trying to do a victory lap on Bidenomics and trying to talk people into saying that Bidenomics is a good thing is actually a bad thing. I'm a little confused by the whole Bidenomics thing because you're trying to convince people of something. You're trying to convince them their own impressions about the economy are wrong. And so if you look, for example, at how Hispanic and black voters feel about the economy, they'll tell you it stinks. Now, they can keep saying, but we have the CHIPS Act, but we have the IRA. At the end of the day, you can't convince someone that they're feeling, how they're feeling about the economy is wrong. And that's what this election is going to come down to. And I get that they're trying to present a proactive message. But at the end of the day, it's very difficult, I think, to do that when people feel they simply feel differently. Yeah, yeah, I mean the the gas prices, just just as an example, are, are through the roof right now, f- pushing four dollars a gallon. And I was just having this conversation with my wife on the phone today on my way to work. Like our dollar has not been going as far as it used to, and with, we're dual income. I'm very grateful to be dual income families, and and she's traveling this week, and she, you know. Th- there was a promotion and it's still not it, we're still like looking at our bank account going wait a minute what is going on here and it's it's grocery stores it's gas it's it's basic everyday needs that are are really just ridiculous in terms of pricing and they're not coming back man no yeah they're not coming back it's even tough. if inflation goes down, the, the, are, are you serious? If if a company or a store ha- has their prices set at this, and they've had to raise their prices, and inflation starts to come down a little, you think their prices are going to come back down a little? 
Why would they do that? It's tough, man. It's a mess. And I got two teenage boys, one of them in college. I'm preaching to the choir here. Yeah. The grocery bill and everything else that's going on, it's staggering. I mean, you look at what, let's say $200 worth of groceries would have gotten you two years ago compared to right now. I mean, it's a swift kick in the junk. And this guy from the Hoover Institute, Lanley Chen, is absolutely right. I mean, families, they get it. They pay bills. They have money. They don't want to hear about the CHIPS Act. They don't want to hear about how Nancy Pelosi's insider trading with the CHIPS Act not only was a good thing for the government, but apparently a very (laughs) profitable thing for the Pelosi family. They want to talk about gas prices. They want to talk about grocery prices. Lunch meat was, uh, we looked on the app yesterday to have some groceries. $15 $15 a pound for like turkey. <laughs> That's double what it was at least two or three years ago. It was $7 a pound. It is, it was, it has doubled in, that's just one example, obviously. Right. But the people that like us that are at the grocery store every week, if not making multiple orders a week, are definitely feeling it in the pocketbook. Another place you feel it when you go out to eat. I mean, like literally everything is more expensive from supply chain issues to the actual food itself. Do you eat a lot of bread when you go out to like a restaurant? If they bring the dinner rolls out, do you take advantage? (laughs) Oh, like when I go to Ruth's Chris, they have some of the best bread they bring out. That brown bread. Oh, man, it's so good. So this study I just whispered like Joe Biden. I know it's creepy and I'm trying to ignore <laughs> it. This study, free bread at restaurants actually makes you hungrier. This is a new study. Oh what? The study says that simple carbs like bread spike your blood sugar, which makes you hungrier in the short term, which is why they offer you bread before you order. In hopes that you'll look at that menu and go, that looks good, that looks good, and I want a dessert too. Mm, so it kind of primes your uh, primes your appetite. Right. Bit. Some woman on TikTok went viral a couple weeks back after claiming that the free bread or the chips and salsa, whatever it is that they bring to you, are actually a tactic that restaurants use to get you to spend more money. Have you ever wondered why restaurants give you a bowl of chips or bread before your meals? It's not because they want you to fill up on the free stuff and they're not being generous. This is actually a way for them to make more money. Here's how. When you sit down at your restaurant, not only are they handing you a menu, but they're also handing you the bread bowl. So as you're eating your bread, you're also looking at the menu. And here's what happens biologically. When you dig into the bread, it's going to cause a blood glucose spike. They know that a glucose spike is going to make you hungrier, crave more, and have a hard time resisting foods. So while it feels like they're being generous, they are actually winning. You order more food, they bring you some more bread, and then offer you a dessert that's nearly impossible to resist. You buying that? A lot of studying going into bread here. Can we, you know, work on cancer? Can we work on, you know, (laughs) not locking us down ever again? I mean, that's an awful lot of information on bread at restaurants right there. (laughs) So do you buy it, though? Uh, Again, I I understand your point about this, you know, there's better things we could be concentrating on. But the question remains, is it a primer for your appetite? Does it make you hungrier filling up on bread before the main course? 
I don't think it does. Now, our executive producer, Matt Hiblin, he was the one that sent us this story. And he's very passionate about this. He sent <laughs> us a follow-up text message after I told him we would be talking yeah. about this on the air. <laughs> yeah. This is from our executive producer, Matt Hiblin. Quote, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't believe for a second that anyone has bought more food than they normally would order or intended on because they ate bread. <laughs> I wasn't very hungry, but then I had a bunch of bread, and now I'll order two entrees? <laughs> this doesn't happen. I understand the concept of stimulating your appetite, but for blank's sake, <laughs> restaurants are not getting over on you by giving you free bread. We are never happier than when we think somebody is screwing us. This is this is like the thing where we say it actually takes hot water longer to boil than cold water, and it's just complete utter nonsense. I've never heard that one. <laughs> Matt Hiblin, very passionate about the bread study. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. I've been whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show. What am I looking at here, Hammer? Fat Bottom Girls from Queen. It's a classic. Being dropped from the band's greatest hits collection for younger audiences? Why? Because it's very offensive, Nige. We're fat shaming people. Fat bottom girls. We can't have that in today's society. I think they're celebrating them, not shaming them. So the 1978 <laughs> classic, Fat Bottom Girls, is now the latest victim of cancel culture. <laughs> it was dropped from the uh, Queen Greatest no Hits collection way. for younger listeners on the audio platform Yoto. Y-O-T-O. I think it's a little ridiculous, and I wonder what they're going to do when they get to the greatest hits of NWA. <laughs> well, as I said, it's not fat shaming, it's fat celebrating. Right. They're celebrating this uh, this woman in the song. Or the women. Big Fat Fanny. Yeah. Like it's a compliment of in course, this song. Of course, it's a virtue. So if I understand this correctly, we have to celebrate Lizzo you know, when she goes out there in a thong, <laughs> but we have to cancel yeah. Queen? That's <laughs> such a good comparison. That sucks. That's, that's a, you're exactly right. Well, here at the Hammer and Nigel Show, we do not put up with cancel culture. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Big Nige oh, performing no. karaoke night, Fat Bottom Girls. Oh, <laughs> So controversial. Here we go and break it down. Bring it home, baby. Hear how they're all laughing at me. Was at my, that was that was at my boss's Christmas party a few years ago. <laughs> Karaoke. You rocked that yeah, thing. I was out of breath. <laughs> I couldn't. I had to sit down. I had to sit down afterwards. A fat guy singing "Fat Bottom Girls" <laughs> that needed a break afterwards. Some young, some young Gen Zers head just spun all the way around oh, right there. Man. Oh well. 
A skin expert has gone viral with a video saying she can immediately tell if a young person vapes a lot. Oh, wow. Usually with vape skin, you start to see crow's feet develop a lot more often. You see a dullness, a sallowness, almost like a gray tone to the skin. Around the mouth, you can start to see discoloration. And usually like in the middle part of your mouth where you'll be inhaling, you can see discoloration, darkness. Your skin starts sagging a lot earlier. Your teeth will show it probably a lot sooner than your skin will if you're young. Four headlines um, are created way earlier. Are you listening? Mad Bear. Matt Bear's in there taking notes right now. <laughs> There's smoke coming off the pen. Any of all those things that she desc- described as someone who vapes, Matt Bear possesses none of those attributes. See, I don't see any crow's feet on Matt Bear. No, no. He looks good. He's in shape. Uh, yeah. I Trust me. If given the choice between finding out my kid has been sneaking, smoking a substance, I'd much rather it be vape than weed or a pack of camels okay what? now what if your child was getting the vape from matt bear <laughs> <laughs> would, you, would your relationship problem. change if you found out matt bear was giving your child Let's children just imagine vapes. that conversation i walk back there hey matt uh you know <laughs> i caught connor vaping today he said he got it from you uh <laughs> are you are you my son's vape dealer <laughs> and young Connor looks up at you, Matt Bear. I learned it from watching Matt Bear. <laughs> Who taught you how to do this? Oh, anybody uh, our age that remembers yeah, that no. drug PSA? Yep. That's so good. It's the Hammer and Nigel show. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock it. It is the Hammer and Nigel Show. I'm Jason Hammer. Big Nige is here. And this Wednesday, the first GOP primary debate. And it's on Fox. And the moderator, one of the moderators, Martha McCallum, anchor of Fox News, joins us right now. Martha, welcome to the Hammer and Nigel Show. In regards to your preparation for this event, and we'll talk about Donald Trump and the other candidates here in just a moment, but in terms of how you put this together, is this something where you have to prepare for if Donald Trump shows up or if he doesn't show up? Are you preparing for both? How does this work? Well, you know, it's all sort of one, it's all one kind of big document where we're putting together our questions. We've been working on them for months, really, and they've been evolving over time. And we've been meeting daily for the past couple of weeks to continue to kind of focus the questions and sharpen them. And as new news happens, we bring them in as well. So there are questions in there that, you know, would be applicable for the former president or that we would ask him. It's not two totally separate things. It's sort of, you know, if Trump is there, this would be a question for him. You know, I've never seen anything like this where you have a crowded field. I mean, there's a lot of people involved here. And the front runner has decided to say, eh, I'm good. Like, you've been covering this stuff a lot longer than than we have here. Have you ever seen anything like this? No, I haven't. But I think it's also important to remember that we've also never seen a presidential election where you have a former president who is running for the office again. Uh, four years later. So he comes into it with that name recognition and that sort of incumbency around him that gives him an obvious boost out of the gate. And the remarkable, I mean, the other unprecedented 
good thing about all of this, obviously, is that we have someone who's running who's been indicted four times and charged with 91 counts. Now, layer on top of that, that the people who support him like him even better every single time he's indicted. I just was looking at the numbers this morning. His numbers have gone up even more since the fourth indictment. So you've got a lot of factors in this that, nope, I've never covered anything like that before. And uh, we're definitely in some uncharted territory here. Martha McCallum is our guest. She is one of the moderators for the presidential primary debate coming up this Wednesday. You can catch that on Fox. So, Martha, I think if the first debate is always the one that has the most eyeballs on it, usually it has the most viewership attached to it. Is this kind of the last stand for somebody like Ron DeSantis? Is this the chance where he can chip away a little bit at that big lead Donald Trump has? Or if he flames out, is this the ball game? I think it's a make or break night for several of these candidates. And clearly the governor of Florida was expected to have a stronger trajectory out of the gate than he has had. And now he finds himself struggling with some other candidates who are near the ballpark. Tim Scott, Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, all of them are kind of in the same uh, group poll-wise at this point. So I don't think that that's what his team and his supporters expected to see at this point. That being said, you know, if he has a strong night on Wednesday, he could move those numbers in a big way. Uh, If he doesn't do well on Wednesday, it could be a make-or-break moment for him. And I think we need to also watch people like Chris Christie and Doug Burgum, who have been kind of getting out there and making news in their own right. So to me, the most fascinating number I keep going back to is that 62, 63%, because you see all these numbers, and I think it's easy to look at Iowa, it's easy to look at these other places and say, oh, you know, forget it, Trump has this sewn up. But when you look at the number of voters who say, in the Republican Party, who say, I, you know, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm still open, I'm still persuadable, that number is big, 62% is big. And these other candidates have a chance to win their attention on Wednesday night. And I think then you're going to start to see these numbers shuffle around a bit. Now, there's going to be some people on that stage that are very anti-Donald Trump. You bring up the name Chris Christie. Have you and your uh, colleague, Brett Baer, have you guys had a chance to talk about what you're going to do if somebody tries to turn this into just a anti-Donald Trump sideshow? Well, you know, every one has the opportunity to answer the question. They've got a minute per question. They've got 30 seconds for a rebuttal. I think there will be an opportunity for all of them to speak their mind, and we're not there to stop them from doing that. This is this is all about the viewers and the voters. This is not a one-on-one interview, which is a different dynamic where you might want to have, you know, sort of moments that uh, that are challenging these candidates and. I think what's interesting on Wednesday night is you want to see them challenge each other. So unless it gets, you know, unless it really goes off the rails, right. we'll, be, we'll be moderating. That's our role, you know, to, to kind of bring it in when it needs to be brought in. But we're not there to, you know, to keep people from speaking their mind. Martha McCallum is our guest here on the Hammer and Nigel show. One more thing here before we let you go, Martha. Uh, what will be the main focus of this debate coming up this week? Is it going to be economy? Is it going to be something else? Is it going to be Donald Trump? Oh, it's clearly going to be the issues. Uh, Economy is the number one issue by far in our Fox News polling that people care about. 
One of the things that really strikes me is that people in this country feel powerless to buy a house, to even pay their rent in some situations, to buy a car. I hear it from young people all the time. They're having trouble launching. And it's understandable. Interest rates are sky high. Groceries, we have a poll that shows 52% of people polled say that paying for their groceries is a major issue. How is that happening in this country? We also have education issues that are very front and center for people. We have kids who have slipped so far behind that they can't read in fifth or sixth or seventh grade. So we have some very serious issues to deal with. I think economy is number one, right behind it, education, border also very important to a lot of the people who are going to be watching. So the focus is on the issues. I know Trump will come up, the former president, undoubtedly, but 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 the, the focus is on the issues because we've heard over and over again from people, this is what I want to hear about. I don't want it to be all about Trump. I want it to be about what's going on in my life. So that's what we're going to put the focus. She is a Fox News anchor, the executive editor of The Story, and one of the moderators for the debate this week, Martha McCallum of Fox News. Martha, thank you so much for joining us here in Indy. Ah, thanks. Great to be with you. Have a great day. The Hammer and Nigel Show. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer right over there with a special guest on the DriveHubler.com hotline. Nobody covers the Colts better than Kevin Bowen from 107.5 The Fan. One half of the morning show over there. KB, what are we calling the morning show over there? What's the official title of this new gig over there? Yeah, we've got the wake-up call with KB and Andy. So... Maybe a little bit of a mouthful, but yeah, the wake-up call with KB and Andy. It's myself and Andy Sweeney, who uh, joins us from Louisville, and that started earlier today. All right. Well, congratulations on uh, the show. I mean, you were there before, but now it's a new show. You survived the cut, and it's Nigel and I's experience. If you've been in a radio long enough and you survive a show change and a cut, that's worthy of a celebration. Uh, preach. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to do what Purdue basketball can't do in March, and that is survive in advance. <laughs> survive in advance. Hey, man, before we get into this uh, Colts-Bears game, the X's, the O's, who played, who didn't, can I just say what a hunk of crap, what a horrible experience that whatever it was on Saturday is for somebody that paid full price. Like, season ticket holders that get stuck having to pay full price for that. You know, Richardson sits out, Fields sits out, the top six Bears receivers, top six, all sat out, and people paid full price for that. Preseason is such a scam, man. Yeah, and honestly, I'll probably go here, if you don't mind, Hammer. I thought the Colts were incredibly shady in how they handled the lack of announcement over who would start a quarterback. Um, you know, Shane Steichen said after the game, yeah, we're leaning towards playing our starters Thursday in Philly. And the week before, he was like, yeah, Anthony Richardson's going to start in Buffalo. There was no announcement over Anthony Richardson playing or not playing leading into Saturday night, the only home preseason game of the year. And I'm usually not one that puts on this tinfoil hat, but I said to Jake late last week when we were wrapping up what was our final morning show, and and I I said, you know what, Shane Steichen, no comments on Wednesday when asked if starters are going to play on Saturday. He's not made available to the media after their final joint practice on Thursday. And then – there's no announcement leading up to kickoff at 7 o'clock on Saturday night. 
are they really trying to like run away from these questions because they just want as many fans as possible to show up to their only home preseason game? Again, that's the vibe I got, and that is ended up playing out. And again, Richardson didn't start. So I thought the whole handling of it was really shady and a disservice to their home fan base, in particular it being the only home preseason game. And that doesn't even get into the decision where I think Richardson should have played in the game anyway. Yeah, the strategy worked. It seemed like there were a lot of fans there, Bears fans and Colts fans. It looked like a full house and the decision not to play their face of the franchise, the, the rookie quarterback, Anthony Richardson. What was said afterwards as to the excuse? Why did he play yeah you know Shane pointed to the joint practice last week with the Bears and do you get a lot of nice reps in sure but I mean Shane or Anthony Richardson is still wearing a red jersey in those practices and I just think it's a really poor message Nige to send to your team when you're like yeah guys we won four games last year we just had the most embarrassing season this franchise has seen in years it's a new coaching staff we've got a starting quarterback with 13 career starts in college and we're going to sit everybody in week two of the preseason. Like, I, I wasn't born yesterday. The Colts have lost nine straight season openers. They're one of the worst teams in the NFL in the month of September in the Chris Ballard era. Something is not being done right to lead into seasons. And they continue to kind of operate with this, we're not going to play a lot of starters in the preseason. Uh, and I think it's really beneficial not only for Richardson to get the reps but the other guys on the offense around him. I won't bore you guys too much with these like practice details, but last Thursday was their final training camp practice against the Bears. It was the, the, the second joint practice. And Richardson threw nine passes that night, and three of the nine passes he completed were all called back due to penalties, offensive line penalties. These weren't holding penalties. They were ineligible men downfield. Well, I think a big reason for that is they're running plays that have these run or pass options, which, again, is is different from what a normal NFL offense would look like. So the other guys around Richardson have to get used to running this offense. And I'm thinking, boy, the last time you were just out there, you had all these penalties screw-ups, and then 48 hours later, a chance to play in the game, you decide not to play any of those starters. So it just didn't really add up. I think the Colts have handled this very well quarterback-wise all up until – you know, last week in relation to him playing in the preseason game. I mean, if the Colts were Kansas City or Cincinnati or Buffalo, I would totally understand if they chose not to put their franchise quarterback out there at all for preseason. But you mentioned it earlier, Kevin. We're talking about Anthony Richardson here, who started his senior season of high school one year at Florida and that's pretty much it. This isn't even like, you know, Peyton at Tennessee or Andrew Luck at Stanford where they had multiple years of playing. Right. And, I mean, let's be honest, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen just played this, this weekend in their respective preseason games. So, clearly, it meant something to them. C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young, two fellow rookies drafted above Anthony Richardson, who played a lot more in college than Richardson, they also played this weekend. So, again, I think the Colts have handled Richardson and the amount of reps he's gotten very well, really up until this point. But even if you want to go bigger picture than him, I just think it's an awful message to send to your football team when you're like, yeah, let's just play the backups when there's only three preseason games. And that, to me, didn't really add up at all. Um, and I think it was kind of a soft message to, uh, to send to them. 
Kevin Bowen joining us from 107.5 The Fan. So I'm watching whatever that was on Saturday, that <laughs> debacle of a preseason game. And again, one. it is, but it's like fruit strike gum, right? The first five minutes, you're excited. This is good. You see the helmets. Ten minutes later, you're like, well, this sucks. Um, but at one point, I texted Nige, and I just said, buckle up. Ursay in the studio. And Jim Ursay joined the TV broadcast and started talking about Jonathan Taylor. For those who didn't catch it, what did uh, the boss man have to say? Well, you certainly had to sift through a lot to wait for the Taylor uh, comment. I actually <laughs> thought of the Jim Ursay meter. It was rather tame. Now, again, I think the Jim Ursay meter has quite a lot on it, but I, I didn't think it went too, too overboard. You could shift through the two minutes of Taylor comments, and by the way, we should mention, he just organically brought him up. There's no way that, you know, the Colts were like, ask him about it. You know? Right. You know, Ursa's just going to do whatever Ursa wants. Uh, you know, you could nitpick and look at some of the comments in there. He references the collective bargaining agreement and the contract issues, and I think that was a little dig at Taylor's agent and saying, hey, look in the CBA. Yeah, this is what it says. Uh, but I, 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 I might be stretching a little bit there. I did have to laugh. He, he ended it with something to the effect of, like, you know, hopefully Chris, Ball- Chris Ballard can calm some of the waters. I'm thinking, well, that's a pretty, pretty public admittance of the, the waters are rocky, yeah. which I agree. I mean, both sides are at very different ends of the spectrum with this. And then also I'm thinking, you help stir those waters. It's not like you've made everything, you know, calm and, and, and smooth. Like that tweet that he sent out a few weeks ago, read the room. You know that your best player who's in a contract uh, issue and his agent is, is not going to be happy about that. So um, I think we're to the point now, though, guys, that in the next handful of days, maybe stretch it out to 10 days, you have to get answers here. A week from Tuesday's roster cuts, you will get an answer. Not that Taylor will be cut, of course, but he's currently on the physically unable to perform list. You have to make a decision whether you keep him on that list and he'll miss the first four games of the season or you bring him off and he could play in those first four games. And I also just think he's got to practice. Like, if he wants to be ready week one, I mean, guys, we're, we're – approaching two and a half weeks away from the season opener. Jonathan Taylor hasn't been on a, a practice field or game field since December of last year. So if he wants to play, you've got to get him practicing very soon. Last thing here, KB, before we let you go, um, what is the chances, what are the chances that Jonathan Taylor is in the Colts lineup opening day? Just your gut feeling, Kevin. God, that's a great question. I, I'll say like 58%, but the fact that I'm so waffling around 50-50 tells you, you know, just how, yeah. A, how much indecision I have, clearly, and how much I think there's an, un- an unknown with this. They only have one practice this week, guys. That is tomorrow in Philadelphia. They play Thursday night. They won't practice again, so I guess maybe the weekend at the earliest. And once you get to this weekend, you're two weeks out. All these guys are pretty sensitive about their bodies. Jonathan Taylor strikes me as a very hypersensitive individual about his body and where he's at. You throw this contract thing on top of it. I don't know if two weeks is ready for a guy like him. I know he plays a position that you rotate a lot of guys at, but I just can't say with a ton of confidence he's out there week one, even saying 58%. I might think to myself, man, that's a little bit too high. Where can we get more coverage? Yeah, 107.5 The Fan, tons of written content up on our website. Uh, And then as you uh, let off with it, the wake-up call with uh, myself, Kevin Bowen, KB, and Andy. That's Andy Sweeney uh, every morning, 7 to 10, over on 107.5 The Fan.
KB, awesome job. We'll talk next week. Yes, thanks, guys. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Remember this guy, Barney Frank Hammer? Yeah, I always said Barney Frank sounds like if the character Milton from Office Space yeah. became a congressman. <laughs> so, yeah, former congressman out of Massachusetts, uh, chairman of the Financial Services Committee in the House. I mean, this guy took a bunch of donations from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Key figure in the uh, subprime mortgage crisis in 2008. Didn't do enough to reform their, you know, those disastrous lending programs. And he's still looking for his red stapler. <laughs> yeah, right. I love, I, I found this old tweet, and there's a reason why we're talking about Barney Frank. We'll get to that in a minute. I found this old tweet from Donald Trump in 2011. Barney Frank looked disgusting Nipples protruding <laughs> in his blue shirt before Congress. Very disrespectful. <laughs> so, so uh, uh, I miss the old man's <laughs> tweets. I know there's the truth social thing, but I miss the tweets. <laughs> that was some two, two, you know, 2011. So anyway, for whatever reason, former Congressman Barney Frank was on some panel with Rita Cosby and a Daily Caller reporter on Newsmax. So I guess they think Barney Frank's opinion is still relevant. Especially I mean, when it comes to what's happening at the border. Yeah, this is this whole conversation is at the border. He and he claimed that Barney Frank basically said, no, this is silly. The border is not open. And Brianna Lyman, who was the reporter with the Daily Caller, like like brought the hammer down on him disagreed but like basically brought to facts here listen to this that don't treat people who are the innocent victims of this or who eat children as, as pawns and send them places and secondly yes we have problems at the border but the statement that it's open is simply silly there were people there catching That's people true. oh another interruption I, I get confirmation that I just made a point she doesn't want to hear because she interrupts me. The fact is that there's a lot of effort going on to enforce the border. It has not been as effective as we would like it to be. But Biden also put in place a policy that was struck by judges that said you can't come here for asylum if you've been somewhere else. And that needs to be put in uh, Brianna, uh, real quick, I will literally give you five seconds. And obviously you have to correct Barney because there's a couple errors there. Go ahead. I'm going to go with the biggest one. The Biden administration has sued Governor Abbott after he tried to put barriers in the water to deter migrants because the federal government is not doing their job. So they are literally working on behalf of the migrants. <laughs> Have you seen my stapler? <laughs> Barney even, Frank. He even sounds like Milton. <laughs> not only does he look like Milton, he sounds like right. <laughs> But, I mean, she's right. Seven million illegals since Biden took office crossing the border. I mean, what's he talking about? I, I mean, I like, get you have to play the partisan politics game. And if you're a lefty, that means you've got to say a bunch of crap that you know isn't true. But come on. But, but lefty states and Democrat-run cities in New York, in Illinois, in Massachusetts are all saying that they are at capacity with illegal migrants. So what, like, if, if the border isn't, isn't open, then why are all of those guys, all of those officials, freaking out? Why is Mayor Eric Adams spreading pamphlets on the southern border saying, don't come to New York, we're full? 
So if I understand this correctly, it's almost like you're saying Barney Frank is full of crap. (laughs) Huh. I had never thought about that before. Apparently, according to Donald Trump, has protruding nipples. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, So where are we at with this here? Elon Musk, he is hell-bent on removing the block feature from Twitter. Do we know why? Exactly. I think Elon Musk feels like he's being some sort of virtue of free speech. Like, Ah, free speech means you have to listen to people that you don't like, and the block feature isn't really what we're about. Can you still mute? I believe you can still mute people, though. You can. You can still mute people. So you technically still won't see their tweets, but they can see yours. And that's the whole idea of the block feature, is that once you block somebody, they can't not only... Uh, not only communicate with you on the social media platform, but they can't see anything that you're doing either. Right. And listen, you're not going to find people that love free speech more than we do, but take the job that we have here, Nige. We give our opinions on news stories. Just because somebody might not like our opinion... They start doxing our address. They start harassing our family. They start going after our kids. We know this because we've seen this. There are some absolute lunatics out there. Let's say you have a bad breakup with an ex, and now she wants to block you on social media, but yet if Elon Musk has his way, you can stalk all you want. It just feels like this is a little too risky because of the lunatics that are out there. Yeah, it seems like a how do they put it a, a problem looking for a solution or a solution looking for a problem. Right. I, it just doesn't make any sense. Nobody was complaining like, nobody, about the block feature. Uh, right. Lots to complain about on social media. The block feature wasn't one of them, and uh, like so, will the app stores let him? That's the question. Will will the app stores let him use let him engage this feature? It sounds like again, it's early and it's all hypothetical at this point, but Apple has stated that if Elon Musk removes the block feature, it becomes open for harassment yeah. and stalking and the app store might not carry Twitter or if you want to call it X anymore. Now that's a big deal if the app store no longer carries it. You can't grow the product if you can't get more users. And I think Elon Musk has done some good things. I like the way he's trying to monetize it. You know, if you're somebody that gets a lot of action, you can make a little bit of money. Uh, Subscribe. And again, the free speech aspect, I'm here for. Like, I get, if I don't want to find out what the Krasenstein brothers have to say, (laughs) I don't have to follow them. But I don't necessarily think they should be barred from the platform. When you allow this block feature to be removed, though, again, we've seen it firsthand. Oh, yeah. The lunatics out there will go after your family. They'll dox your address. Uh, politics has become blood sport, whether you like it or not. And uh, Very divisive. This is, a, this is a problem. Are we still calling it Twitter? Are you continuing to call it Twitter, or have you switched over to X? I will never call it X. <laughs> it will always be Twitter. It will always be Deer Creek. <laughs> And if the Hoosier Dome was still around, it'd still be the Hoosier Dome. Oh, it still is. <laughs> Here in a couple weeks, Jacksonville opens up the season at the Hoosier Dome <laughs> against the Indianapolis Colts. Okay, there's a new survey out. Uh, this is uh, pretty appropriate because of the temperatures this week here in Indy. New survey out on the most frustrating parts of summer. 
Mosquitoes, number one frustration. More than swamp ass? More than swamp ass. Um, Number two, sweating. Okay, so that would be what I thought would be number one. Because I hate, you know, like let's say you're going to somewhere where you have to dress to impress, and you park your car, you're walking to the meeting. Next thing you know, you've got pit sweat, you know. dude, I I was, uh, yeah, I had to, I was at a, a visitation earlier with some relatives earlier this morning. And it was so hot out, like I, I, like from my car to the funeral home, I started profusely sweating. It's, I had to go straight to the bathroom to wipe off. And if you're fat, it's even worse. <laughs> so I would have thought uh, sweat oh, man. would have been number one more so than mosquitoes. Uh, let's see. The most frustrating parts of summer. One, mosquitoes. Two, sweat. Three, excessive heat. For humidity and stickiness, I think these are all the same. Right. Um, let's see. Higher utility bills. Oh which yeah, kind of makes sense. Sunburns. I got a little extra sun yesterday. Doing out some, doing some yard work, and um, dove into the neighbor's pool after that. Said, "Screw the uh, sunscreen." Did you dive in naked and just go oh, unannounced. Yeah. Oh man, it's so great. <laughs> yeah, they, they were. Um, I don't know about this one. Fr- most frustrating parts of summer excessive air conditioning i love excessive I, I love, air conditioning i'm all for excessive air conditioning when you guys take a vacation and you get to the hotel or oh, the rental cabin oh, or whatever yeah. it is first thing you do crank the ac down right you got to get that temperature down because it's usually at a higher level than i prefer when i get there uh, lack of shade outside and then there's always during the summer pressure to quote do something well, it's a nice day. It's summer. We got to go do something. I think that's a younger person's problem. As I get older, I have absolutely <laughs> no intention of doing anything. <laughs> like, if I've got a day where I don't have something to do, that's a pretty good day. That's a very nice day. Uh, what did you do this week? Is the kiddo moved in yet to uh, to the house? Did he start? Uh, the cable comes yet? this week, hooking up the Wi-Fi and the cable this week. Once that comes to his house, then we will move down his TVs, his bed, okay. his dresser, his clothes, and he will be done. But how, when does did you when does class start? Not this week, but next week. So he's wow. got a lot of like so, orientation like, stuff this week. So th- I think Butler started this week, or maybe they was moving day this week. I know Purdue started this right. week. All states moved in. A lot of places have moved in. UND, I think, is a week behind a lot of people. So the boy starts uh, class next week, and he'll be moved in by then, man, just waiting for the cable guy to come by and give him Bally Sports, the Marquee Sports Network, NFL Red Zone, and everything that he wants. By the way, I need to thank you for the Degenerate Special. Boom. Um, Boom, baby. Indianapolis Colts. uh, winning and uh, what was my bet? I was confused as to what my bet was. I, I, I think. Well, I no, you were drunk, is what it was. <laughs> I've explained it to you like eight times. The bet was yeah. at plus one forty yeah. plus money. Yeah. The Colts had to win by one through thirteen points. Yeah. That's it. The thing is, I, I, I now I was drunk. Now I'll give you that <laughs> when you were texting me this. But I, I had like we had a bunch of people at the house, bunch of relatives, kids running around, cousins sleep overnight, so I wasn't able to watch the game. So I was only halfway kind of checking my text. So that was the confusion. But yes, hey, kudos to you. I sent you a text with a screenshot of the final score. (laughs) And I said, we won. And you said, but I lost. (laughs) No, dumbass, you didn't. You won. You're welcome. Unfortunately, I got to say for once, Hammer is not exaggerating. I can go back. I think Rob Kendall was on that text. 
And uh, I, <laughs> you go, hey, way to go. We won. And I wrote back, no, I lost. <laughs> and I believe my next words were, hey, Zeus, something else. <laughs> Okay, do we have, is it time for some shine? I believe it's time for a little shine. Moonshine Monday, next on the Hammer and Nigel Show. And it takes me back to a simpler place in time. When we used to kick back and let the moon shine. Somebody gave us a treasure trove full of different moonshine flavors, and we sample them on Moonshine Mondays here on the Hammer and Nigel Show. Where is this one from? Uh, Sugarlands, down in God's Country, uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee area. Oh, you've been there, haven't you? I've been to the distillery. Yes, I have. And um, this is Sugarlands Blackberry moonshine. Oh, boy. And again, when you say somebody brought us a treasure trove, we're not talking about little sample sizes. We got like 16 of the big, massive 750 milliliter jars. Like, we do these samples, and then we give them away to, like, engineering. Rob Kendall stole some from us. Uh, Guests of our program. Let's see. Blockaders Blackberry Moonshine. Okay, well. It's been in the fridge all day. Perfect way to kick off a crazy Monday at the start of a work week and debate week. Cheers. Sure. Ooh, that's delicious. That's the best I've had yet. That's really good. You taste the blackberry right away, and and then then the the shine smacks you on the backside. By the way, I'm looking at looking ahead at the weather this week. Like we were looking at on, on my iPhone, 100 degrees on Thursday. Yes, what, not 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 the feels like temperature, right? Not right. not like 91, but feels like 100, 100 degrees. And I was uh, telling my wife she's traveling to Denver this week. I thought, oh, Denver's not going to be as hot. You're going to escape all the heat. You got the mountains over there. Nope, 100 degrees tomorrow in Denver. (laughs) And that's less oxygen to suck, too, when you're hot. Exactly. Up there in that altitude, man. 